massive thing. Yes, and um, neither would you, Derek, this star nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Now, which is it? I'm sure of it. you think he could tell heaven from hell blue skies from pain can you tell a green field from a cold steel rail a smile from a veil do you think he could tell All right, hello everyone. Welcome to episode one of Take a Hit of Hope podcast. And uh, my name is Dave. I'm here with my uh, with my good friend Richard. Hello say- everyone. And uh, y- you know, I just wanted to say for our first episode that the reason we started this podcast is to encourage the addict who still suffers, the one who's found recovery, uh, and we hope that this message will connect with you. And help you keep fighting uh, you know just to be clear we're not affiliated with any 12-step program we're just two guys who are clean and want to give back and so uh, I'm excited to start this episode with you Richard thank you yeah this is uh, this is this is good stuff and, and you know I feel like for our first episode uh, I wanted to talk about um, what led us to recovery sure how we yep. how we started out yep. and um, you know, uh, just letting people know where we came from and, and where we're at today. So, yeah. um, 
you know, why don't, why don't we start with you? Okay. Uh, you know, how, how, how did you end up in recovery? What led you here? Wow. Well, I guess for me, you know, uh, it started when I was young. You know, I, I was born and raised up north, and uh, I'd hang out outside. I'm from the projects, and, uh, you know, they would call me shorty, but, I, you know, I played good stickball. Okay. But I remember when I took my first hit, you know, uh, I felt like I grew like two feet and I gained 40 pounds. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, my God, uh, I was excited. It was great. You okay. Know? So and that led to a long stream of, you know, hanging out and smoking and doing mm -hmm. different types of drugs and just being a part of a part of that special clique that you'd watch, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, they're bad boys. But. What brought me to recovery was at the end of the road, like they say, you know, um, I was desperate. You know, I had stopped being fun. I had stopped getting high. You know, I had stopped enjoying that. I, you know, I guess the problem started when I wanted to not use and I could not not use. Well, you know what? Let, let me ask you, because that's, that's a great point. Uh, how long did it take for, for it to stop being fun? Like, did you, um, did you know right away that you were an addict? You're like, were you all in? No, no, well, no. You know, like, and, and you know, I, I was a teenager. I first got into the process of recovery at 21 years old. Okay. But I guess at 17, I decided I joined the army. It was the Vietnam stuff okay. going on. And I remember I took a, a an ounce of weed with me to basic training. <laughs> figuring, you know, I'm going to really need that. I'm need I stuffed this. it in my, you know. I stuffed it in a, in a talcum powder, dark, or a menin, for those that are back, <laughs> way back. And uh, so I was in the service, and then instead of sending me to Nam, they sent me to Germany. Okay. So I was exposed to more, you know, harder drugs. Okay. And that's when it started for me. I guess I was... Uh, Turning from I joined at 17 so at 18. I started using harder drugs uh -huh. and I knew I had a problem and I and my first treatment was at 18 because really it, yeah Oh, wow. all of a sudden I was I couldn't stop you know I really was and you know the the army expects you to get up early and do formation and do these <laughs> things so a drug <laughs> habit in the army is really not cool while uh -huh. you're you know so uh, after the second treatment, I, I, I came out. They told me I'd have a, you have a discipline problem. And they'd give me some medication while I was in treatment. But the second time I went to treatment, uh, you know, it, was, it continued worse. Because I came back out, I thought I could just use occasionally, and it uh -huh. didn't work out. So uh, they offered me an a honorable discharge, and I left the service. And I went to college and I stopped using for a while, 19 years old, you know? Okay. Then I went to college. I, I moved to Puerto Rico at that time and another person offered me some drugs. And I thought I could handle it. Uh -huh. And it was on. You know, once I took that hit, it was on. College didn't matter. Mm -hmm. uh, I had gotten married. That didn't matter. And, and so all the way up to two years of intense using. Okay. And not being able to stop, and you know, bad drug habit, and people dying around me, because of course you're moving now into more, you know, dangerous places, because sure. that's where the action is at, and yeah. that's where you're going to. Mm -hmm. And I saw people who die. I saw people overdose. I saw people got shot. But at 21, I was already sick and tired of it. You wow. Know? 
Wow. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, you know, just thinking back to the beginning for me, um, you know, I was about 14 and I just moved down to Florida from New York. Mm. And like where I grew up in New York, there really there were, nobody was really doing drugs. Like the schools <laughs> that I went to or it was yeah. really um, pretty laid back in, right. in that regard, you know. And I moved to Florida and uh, went to public school. And the school that I went to, it seemed like every single kid was doing, it was insane, yeah. the amount yeah. of usage yeah. down there, down here. And um, I used to get a ride home with this guy. And, and one day we stopped, we were giving another guy a ride home. And when we got to his house, he goes, hey, do you guys want to smoke some pot? He was like, my older brother, Marty, you know, has some pot, you know, whatever. And, I, and I'll never forget this. You know, he came outside, he got a stone. And then my friend gave me this uh, VHS tape, right? Okay, okay. And he goes, go home and watch this. Yeah. So we're all stoned. We go to my parents' house. I put this VHS tape in. And it was Pink Floyd, The Wall. Oh, okay. And my life has never been the same oh, wow, ever, yeah. ever since. It was such yeah. a, um, uh, it was such an intense experience for me yeah. that first time, <laughs> right? And, yeah. um, wow. and and you know, looking back at that, I um, I fell in love immediately. It yeah. was like a, there was an immediate uh, addiction, immediate yeah. attraction yeah. to how it made me feel. Yeah, the euphoria, the euphoria. It, yeah. it, it, it was crazy, you know. And you know, a, a year later, I was doing the hard stuff. Not yeah. even a year later. Yeah. And um, so here I am, you know, at like 15 years yeah. old, and I'm and I'm all in. Yeah. And it it just it consumed my life. But for me, it it uh. It really took a long time for me to say, I, I can't control this because mm. I was under the uh, illusion that I could use successfully. You know, I would I would it was so crazy. Like I would work all week and I would say, OK, I'm not going to spend my chip, my whole check Friday night. So I'm only going to spend 20. Right, right. And I would drive back and forth to the dope man. Wow. In increments of twenty twenty dollar yeah, yeah, uh yeah. uh moves till my check was gone, you know, and I would, you know, let me sniff this or smoke this or yeah. whatever and uh could could never get a hold of it. But um the gift of desperation is really, you know, it it's such a bad place to be, but in hindsight for myself, I needed to get to that place yeah. so I could take an honest look yeah. at myself, yeah. you know? And that's how I felt, you know? I felt at that point, I hated the feeling of being enslaved, you know? When you're shooting dope, when you're shooting heroin, and coke, and speedball, and then all these, you know, and you can't stop, and you're stuck, and you're zooming, and you're in a corner, and you, you know, and the amount of money. You know, I remember when I got to treatment, they had us do an exercise. You know, how much money do you spend, you know, on your drugs on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. It was like $300 a day. Mm. It's a lot of money. But 
uh, I finally I moved from Puerto Rico back to New York and I was able to find recovery, you know, and uh, and it was wonderful. I mm -hmm. had a great time. You okay. know? Recovery was wonderful, you know, going to meetings regularly. That was really cool. So <clears throat> so you said you moved back to New York and what led you to seek out recovery? And then how, how did that kind of like, you know, what path led you into that? Well, I, I love because growing up, you know, in my teens, Bruce Lee was the big thing in okay. the 70s, you uh -huh. know, in early, late 60s, early 70s. So I started back martial arts. I started back to, I went to New York and I got together with some of my friends and we started learning Wing Chun Kung Fu. Okay. And that was really cool. So, you know, you can't be doing drugs and doing, it just doesn't work. You can't do martial arts and drugs. So, and then I, I found this guru that taught meditation and, you know, I was able to stop, you know, just one day at a time, you know, and mm -hmm. that was a fellowship and we go and we talk about that. So uh, I got, I became a vegetarian. So it was a different lifestyle. Wow. A complete different lifestyle. So, for so, me. so you're saying it wasn't like a 12 step thing. No, it was that wasn't it was a through martial arts. It was no, it was through spirituality okay. of a guru okay. that we'd meet on a daily basis. A, a lot of people were getting clean through that at that time, oh, back wow. in the 70s in okay. New York. Uh, and we'd uh, do what they call satsang, which is sharing every night, a meditation, an hour in the morning, an uh -huh. hour at night. He okay. taught, taught us certain techniques, <clears throat> how to, you know follow your breathing and relaxing. And that really enlightened me. You know, it just gave me an other view of a world within me, mm -hmm. which put me at peace. Sure. Uh, so that, along with the martial arts, along with healthy friends, you know, I stayed clean for many years. Actually, it was after 10 years that I stopped going to the meetings. Okay. Because that was similar to 12 says it's different. It's a spiritual program. Okay. So after 10 years, I stopped going to meetings. And then a year later, I thought I could have a drink. Mm. And that's where it all started. I didn't have, I didn't understand the disease concept. Mm -hmm. So I had that drink and uh, wow, man, all of a sudden I'm drinking again every day. And mm. I, it led me back to the drugs and it was horrible. I had a great job. So after a year of using, you know, I lost the wife, I lost the picket fence, I lost the car, mm -hmm. the yeah. house. I had a great job at that time in telecommunications. And that's where I was introduced to uh, the other fellowship, Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. You know, and I went to treatment and I started going to meetings on a daily basis. I got a sponsor. I went to Narcotics Anonymous, but it was kind of rowdy there, you know, at that time, back uh -huh. in the... Okay. Early 80s, I believe. No, no, we're talking about 87, 87, 88. So I went back to AA and I was there fine mm -hmm. uh, for a couple of years. But then, you know, my life got really settled in and I stopped going to meetings again. Mm -hmm. And then back in 93, I relapsed again. You know, mm -hmm. after two years of not going to meetings, mm -hmm. I was with my fiance and her brother had offered me drugs. And I told her, look, it, Brother's offering me drugs. He mm -hmm. said, you've been clean now for years. Why don't you help him? But I didn't want to go to the meetings. You know, I, sure. didn't, I just didn't want to. You know, yeah. I found it kind of corny. You uh -huh. know? Like, I wanted to do what I was doing. I was teaching martial arts. Mm -hmm. I was uh, working. I had a great thing going on. Mm -hmm. But eventually, I thought I could have half a bag. 
And that was it. I was out from 93 to 2003, which was the worst years of my life. Wow, wow. Yeah, homelessness, jails, yeah. going back to jails. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you know, you saying that just, um, just, just makes me think of all the times that I tried to quit on my own. And it was such a, it was such a hard experience for me yeah. to not really have any kind of program or anything to, to really lead me through my recovery yeah. and just trying to muscle my way through being clean. And I would, mem I would remember being so um, like angry and frustrated and ag like I just, I might not have been using, but I wasn't a happy person, you know? Um, and then, you know, for me, uh, it was in 2009 where I, um, found myself on the street, homeless, addicted, jonesing, looking for that next hit. It's like three in the morning, right. nobody to call, no, no nothing, you know? And I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't take it anymore. And, and, uh. I remember I was downtown Orlando, and I'll never forget this. I was at the corner of Church Street and Terry, downtown Orlando. Oh, and um, there's a payphone on the corner there, probably the last payphone <laughs> in the state of Florida, yeah. right? Yeah, I know where it's at by the Right up by the coalition, up yeah, the road the from the coalition, right? And uh, so I, I remember going to that phone and picking up that phone and dialing the only number that I know would answer for me. Mm. And I picked up that phone and I called 911. Because mm. I know they're gonna answer, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the only person yeah. I that's the only person I could call. And I, I picked up that phone and I told them, hey, you know, um, I wanna hurt myself. I need help. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And they were like, okay, just stay there. We're gonna send somebody. And uh, I remember hanging up the phone, s sitting on the curb right there, and uh, an OPD mm -hmm. cop pulled up, right? So him and his partner get out of the car. They ask me my name. They run my name, this, that, and the other. And then he comes back to me, and, he, and I had all these writs. I had all these, like, warrants to fail, failure to pay for okay. all these court fines and all this court stuff, right? Yeah. And... Um, the cop looks at me, and this is just divine intervention. Yeah. The cop looks at me and he says, <clears throat> he goes, you know, between me and my partner, we got about 30 years on the street, yeah. and uh, we feel like you need some help. Yeah. So we ain't going to take you to jail today. We're going to let you go and get some help. And he said, when you get out of wherever you get out of, be a man and handle your business. Wow. And they sent me to the local mental mental hospital yeah. here. And um, I remember being in that mental hospital and- They Baker acted you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they Baker acted me. And um, really only got a few days in there because I ain't crazy. So yeah. I know yeah. I'm not going to be there for long, you know? And uh, even though the things we did <laughs> were insane, yeah, yeah, like we gotta be kind of insane, <laughs> completely yeah. insane, right? Yeah. So, um, so I'm in the mental hospital and I'm 
basically they let you use the phone and they give you like a little list of programs. Yeah. And I'm calling and I'm calling and, and they're all telling me the same thing. Do you have the intake fee? Yeah. You know, do you, do you have a license and social security card, ID and social security card and the intake fee and we'll take you. And I'm, yeah. and I'm like, I have nothing. Right. I have nothing. I'm broke. I'm homeless. You know, if they let me out of here with no plan or no place to go, I should say, yeah. I'm going to go back to doing what I, I always do. Like, I, can you help me? But we could maintain a drug habit. That's what we could do, though. I ain't got nothing, but let me out and I'll find drugs. I'll find drugs, right? So um, I, uh, I, I, I had uh, found this place um, called the Recovery House. And I got the director on the phone after multiple calls, and he agreed to accept me. And when they let me out of the uh, mental hospital, they gave me a bus pass. And that was like the hardest ride wow. for me yeah. on yeah. that bus yeah. to the program. Yeah. Because every, it was like every fiber in my Once body the, yeah. wanted to jump off that bus and go get a yeah. piece of dope, you yeah. know? Yeah. And um, I made it there, man. I made it to that program. And I, I, I'm telling you, like, my willingness, my desire to change was greater than the desire to use. Right. Yeah. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but something inside of me was, was broken and it was, and it was broken to the point where I had the desire to do whatever it took to turn my life around. And, um, you know, I had, I had went through that program and, and, uh, really was able to rebuild my life. Uh, went, Back, went to college, yeah. graduated, met a, uh, a fantastic lady, got married. The whole thing, man, just turned my whole life around. And it, beyond my wildest dreams, right. you know, things had, uh, things had changed for me. And, <clears throat> you know, I had, uh, I had about nine, nine months and, or no, excuse me, nine years uh, nine years, four months clean. Mm-hmm. And I stopped doing all the things I was doing when I first got clean. Yeah. So I stopped going to meetings. I stopped going to my church. I stopped doing all these things. And it took, it took me about six months of not doing anything for me to, to convince myself that I could smoke pot successfully. Wow. Right. And so on my birthday, um, I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get stoned. Yeah. Right? I, I've been feeling frustrated. I've been, fe- I've been getting angry a lot. Wonder why, right? Cause yeah. Right. Wasn't, yeah. And, uh, it's a lack of the lack of going to meetings. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, and on my birthday, I got stoned. And three days later, I went right back to doing the hard stuff again. Yeah. Three yeah. days late, like without yeah. even skipping a beat. Yeah. And that animal was like, you know, it, it wasn't like I was starting from scratch again. It was like my, the addict in me 
was just in a cage doing dips and yeah. push-ups, yeah. just yeah. waiting yeah. for the day yeah. for me to open the door and uh, co- completely destroyed my life, man, you know? And my, my experience was similar. At nine, you know, in 1993, after, you know, I had accumulated 15 years total, 11, then right back came, did four. But from 93 to 2003, to stay out there for 10 years, you know, it's incredible how this disease, it's progressive. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I've learned through the process, that it is progressive. So I was doing a lot more and, you know, I just couldn't stop. And I'd go back to treatment because I didn't want... You know, there's something about not wanting to go back to the rooms, mm-hmm. you know, not going, not wanting to go back to meetings. But uh, when we do understand that, for me, you know, like I never thought I had a problem with alcohol, mm-hmm. but at the end, I was drinking a lot of alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, I was drinking over a liter every day. Wow. So that's when we say, you know, in Narcotics Anonymous, I belong to that fellowship. Like alcohol is a drug. I can relate to that. Yeah. Because, you know, I'd say, well, I at least I ain't shooting dope or smoking crack. I'm just yeah. drinking. But I was drinking and, and, and snorting and shooting and doing everything. But it's like you, you know, I had to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I remember once the police caught me. They're chasing me, right? They put me in the police car, in the patrol car. I'm handcuffed. And I said, what a relief. I'm going to jail. Wow. That's sick. Yeah. That's really sick. Yeah. Because I used to think that's where I do best, in the jail, mm-hmm. until I, was, I moved to Puerto Rico. Then I'm shooting dope in the prison, <laughs> and that was really bad. So yeah. for me, what it took was a, a, another near-death experience. I was flatlining. This was in the year 2003, September 5th. I'm flatlining in the emergency room in Sanford, and... Uh, this time, before I had overdose and flatline and stuff, I had never had a vivid experience. They'd just bring me back and I'd be in, I was, once I was in a morgue, they had already put me downstairs. Wow. And I just, they had took my shoes off and everything. I just what? left. Yeah, really? I just left. Yeah. You got the sheet over you? Yeah, they had, they had a sheet over me and I was, you know, the, the clinical part, you know, where they put the people that passed away. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, I, I came back, I wow. left. Uh, so... But I had no vivid experience. This time, in September 5th, my spirit, I felt, was going to this real dark place. Mm. And I was really scared. Mm -hmm. I'm not religious. I'm not anti-religious. But I had that moment that, whoa. So they brought me back. That's September 5th. Mm. 2008, they brought me back. I didn't stop using that day, <laughs> but I called the helpline on September 7th. Okay. And I went back to AA there one day, and, you know, my life was safe. But let me tell you something. And I went to AA. I, I uh, started sharing a little bit. And since, unfortunately, or you know, I was packing a gun, and I was insane still because uh-huh. I was using that day, the September 7th. So I remember after that noon meeting, someone told me, look, listen, there's a Narcotics Anonymous over here at night close by uh, in, in Sanford. So I went to that meeting and, and, and this fellow, in the fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous where I found my niche because mm-hmm. uh, you know, I started hearing things that made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. I remember this guy when I went to the meeting because I didn't want to stop. I want, you know, you don't want to stop, but you, you know, you can't stop. You mm-hmm. want to, you just don't know. You're yeah. insecure. Yeah. So, you know, and, and the program is total abstinence of all drugs. Mm-hmm. 
So I remember this guy was sharing, he said that when he was driving, he felt that the car in front of him was following him. <laughs> that made a lot of sense. <laughs> That's, you know, this way. Because it was like those little things, like he was yeah. in the closet and he would tell himself he's breathing too loud. They're going to hear him across the street. So that, you know, I could relate yeah, to that yeah. paranoia. So that's what made oh, me, my Lord. what made me say, you know, and, and also while I was out there, I lost two of my sons. Mm. They were 24 and 26 years old and they were, they died as a result of addiction. You know, the lifestyle, if the drugs don't get you, the lifestyle mm -hmm. will. And that was in June 2nd, 2002. So I was really furious and full of vengeance in my heart and resentful. And so, but when I got into the rooms the third day, and that's the good thing, you know, you get your feelings back because you're not anesthetized. Sure. But that was the worst thing that I got my feelings back. Wow. Because yeah. now I'm mourning my sons. I have no drugs because I came in using. Mm -hmm. My clean date is the 8th of 2003, September, because I came in using that. September 7th. So the third day back in recovery, I was about to leave. I said, y'all don't even understand what it is to lose two sons. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was hurting. But as I'm leaving, this other member stops me and says, you know what? I lost Richard. Uh, I lost my son 10 years ago. Someone shot him in the head. I have 19 years clean and I've, I have not had to use over that. Mm. So that was like my first miracle yeah, because, you know, that therapeutic value of one addict helping another. When someone, you know, they've been there. Mm -hmm. That's the empathy. Yeah. She or that member was there, had that trouble, sure. you know, had that experience. Yeah. So I was shocked. I was like, okay. And I came back the next day and I saw that she could do it or that person could do it. So I figured I could do it. And a lot of miracles happened, you know, sure. in the rooms. You know, and, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 this is one of our like cliche sayings one day at a time, you know, yeah, yeah. but it, it's just such a true statement that, you know, each day that we are clean, you know, we, we need to be grateful for that day, but we need to live in that moment. I think when we start thinking about the future or dwelling in the past, it just steals that it steals that moment for, from us. Yeah. And it'll, you know, uh, a lot of times it can be overwhelming yeah. and, and pushes back um, to using. So, you know, as far as um, getting clean and staying clean, um, the, you know, the biggest thing for me that has, uh, that has helped is having a program in place to help me go through my recovery on a, on a daily basis, you know, and that might be different for some people, but... Um, you know, I found NA and, you know, I have to agree with you. There's, there's something so powerful about being around other people that are going through the same journey as you and that has had similar or the same experiences yes. as yourself. Um, because many times I've been in a meeting and somebody has shared something that is exactly what I was feeling, exactly what I was going through. Yeah. And by them, you know, giving of themselves, it has made me stronger in some way to reassure me that I don't have to use again. I don't have to go back to that insane way of life. Um, 
And that's one thing when I got back, it's like I grew some ears because I heard someone say, you never have to use drugs again, mm -hmm. no matter how you feel. You know, you just don't have to. Mm -hmm. But this is for grown-ups because mm -hmm. you're going to want to. You just don't have to. And that's mm -hmm. what took time. Like, okay, even if I want to. And I remember someone told me, I think at two or three months back, because I really wanted to use one day. And they said, you know, you're not going to combust or blow up from not using. Hold on tight. Mm -hmm. So it was like a one day at a time. Mm -hmm. And at about, I don't know, about three months, I remember the urges to use And I, I would tell myself, see, because that's the thing I learned was that don't believe what you think because it's like romancing it. Okay, I feel like getting high, like if it was going to solve something. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, I had this moment of clarity where I don't get high, I get addicted. Yeah. There's a big difference sure. between getting high and being addicted. Yeah. You know, I've seen people get high. I've seen people say, well, I'm going to save some of this for next week. Or some people say, put it away. I had enough. You yeah. know, I don't know. Not around me. That yeah. ain't happening. No. But I've seen people, no, I've had enough. I'm okay. You know, yeah. so, so deep down inside, that's one mantra that I repeat. It's like, I don't get high. I get addicted. And addiction sucks. Yeah. And you, you, know, you know what? That's, um, I think that's a really good point because... For a long time, I would compare myself with other people that could use successfully, meaning yeah. the person that could have a glass of wine yeah. with dinner, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. And, and, they're and they're done. Or the person that, you know, maybe every once in a while they would smoke a joint if they were like at a show or, or something like that or, or whatever. Um, and not allow it to control their life. But, but you, you know, you said it so perfectly. I don't get high. I get addicted. And all I want is more. It's never um, the thirst for more is never quenched, yep. you know. And once I, um, I, once I came to the realization that, look, I'm not like other people. I can't keep comparing myself to these people right, that right. Can, can use a little bit and stop. Because that's not me. I just right. can't do it. Right. And being okay, accepting, um, and that's a big part of recovery, is the acceptance part that, hey, listen, I'm okay the way I am, and I don't have to use. I don't right. have to right. be like other people. I can go out and, and have fun and do things and not have to be under the influence to enjoy myself, right. Right. you know? Um, and that's part of what I learned in this process about the disease concept. That what makes us addicts is not the type of drugs. If you drank it, snorted, shoot it, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter even if you use every day. What makes us addicts is how we react to any mood or mind-altering substance. Mm -hmm. The compulsion. Once you have one, you need to have more. The obsession. You're trying to stop. You've been clean for a month or two, and you're still obsessing over mm -hmm. it. That's part of the disease. Yeah. But the worst part, I find, is the spiritual aspect of us being totally self-centered, thinking that we know what's best for us. I can handle it on myself. Mm -hmm. I know what's better for me. And that's what got us a lot into trouble because, like you said, you know, What do you mean I can't drink socially? Mm -hmm. Why can't I just have, you know, my mind equates it to being weak. Mm -hmm. So I had to understand that I have 
this disease. I'm sure. sick. Yeah. You know, I'm sick. And it expresses itself with that compulsion. Mm -hmm. of, and my body doesn't know the difference between prescription medication and legal medication. Mm -hmm. So I have to be careful sure. with what I use. And that's what I learned. And thanks God that now, you know, I understand I'm sick. I'm not a bad person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot to do for me to stay in this process. Like I get to go, because I don't say I have to go to meetings. No, I get to go to a meeting every day. Mm -hmm. I get to work with the sponsor. Mm -hmm. I get to work these steps. Sure. You know, and uh, then there's this spiritual aspect. You know, I get to meditate on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I sit an hour every day. I get to do exercise. And those are the things that just for today, right, keep me buoyant, you know, mm -hmm. keep me, because sure. it, it could get monotonous, you know, yeah. it could get monotonous, it could get uh, boring. Mm -hmm. and, and one person had told me, you know, it's not that it's boring, it, there's a difference between b having a boring experience and a peaceful experience. It's just peaceful. You mm -hmm. know, some people don't understand. Yeah. We didn't come from a peaceful yeah. place. <laughs> We sure did. No, um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I guess in, in closing, uh, one of the greatest gifts that I have received from recovery, um, the first one was what you just said, the obsession was lifted from me. Um, I, I never thought I would be at a place where I, I, I would be, I could be okay in my own skin. Right. And, um, you know, today I, I'm able to sit here, uh, with a clear mind and not be thinking about how I can get in Richard's pocket. Right. <laughs> can he, yeah, can he yeah. let me hold 20, you know, before yeah, I leave yeah. or whatever, always scheming and, and thinking about that next hit. Um, I'm really grateful for that. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's important that I continue to realize that it's not boring or monotonous being clean, but it's actually being at a place of peace and being at a place of rest um, and being the best man that I can be. And I can't, I can't be who I was created to be. Um, if I'm using, right. I can't do that. I can't be a good father. I can't be a good husband. I can't be a good son. I can't be any of those things. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's such a, it's such a change from you, you know, like the perspective of a person that's using when I was using all I really, I used to tell myself, I, I cared about people and I was concerned about others and blah, 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 blah. But when I was using, I was only concerned about me. It's such a selfish, self-absorbed yes. um, disease, um, and and it and it's so. Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? It it's. It just has you lie to yourself. You know, it has you make so, up these these thoughts that you're doing things that you're really not doing. I guess, it, you know, you lie to yourself. Self-deception. Self-deception, yeah. yeah. It's so deceptive because it will have you telling yourself you're doing this for this reason yeah. when it's not even the yeah. motive at all. That's not your intention, you know? We're good. We're masters at lying to ourselves. That's why we need a sponsor. Mm -hmm. That's why, because we will tell ourselves we're okay. 
Yeah. You know, I don't. I ask my sponsor how I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's what it, it's so important to have someone else that we could trust. You know, in this in this process. You know, and the, the bottom line is for me is like I'm grateful that I'm not homeless or in jail mm -hmm. or running uh, using. You know. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, enjoying life to its fullest. Yeah. Fullest potential. And and you know. Like you said, I went back to college at 58 years old, you know, mm. in 2013, and I graduated magna cum laude from UCF, awesome. you know, with a bachelor. I didn't think I'd have that capacity, <laughs> you know, come on, man. Yeah. And I don't owe a penny, Yeah. you know, because there's scholarship, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I do want to uh, say that the disease of addiction manifests in other areas of our lives when we get clean. You mm -hmm. know? Some people get too obsessed with their job, with the significant others, you know, with gambling, mm -hmm. you know, all of these things. So I'm glad that, uh, like you said, the obsession to live with, to, to use was lifted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to, to the people that are listening to this podcast today, um, you know, if you are in active addiction, you know, I want to tell you that it's not it's not too late. You know, if you still have your life, if you still have breath in your lungs, you can turn this thing around. And no matter what you're using, you know, reach out and try to find some help. If it's going to a detox, if it's calling the police on yourself, if it's whatever it is, you you can do it. You know, I mean, I hope um, the stories that Richard and I shared with you today um has given you some hope uh some encouragement that if we can do it uh you know you you can do it too and um you know rich before we close is any uh anything you want to no i share? think we've covered quite a bit i just want to you know like like dave just said you know uh, don't believe your your thought process you can do this you know this is available to us all you know there's millions of us in recovery so you know, one of the things sometimes the disease of addiction, the mental part would do is try to disqualify you. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. You know, I had to learn to to identify with the similarities. You know, even if you, it, it doesn't matter. You know, some people say, well, I just smoke a little bit of weed. Well, that's a drug. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if you have a problem, that's why I, I love the, the process that, you know, recovery from addiction doesn't, you know, alienated from a specific substance so with that uh peace love and much respect to everyone yep have a great day you guys thanks for listening